Hey guys, I'm Megan Smiley and this is The Escape Plan. For those of you who've followed the rules and worked really hard to climb the ladder, but you're looking around thinking, is this it? This is my life? I hear you. You want more. You want freedom, fulfillment, purpose. But you don't see how that's going to happen in the traditional work world. You're entrepreneurship curious, but it seems daunting, risky, and probably unrealistic. But in this podcast, I'm going to help you see just how possible it is to build a business and by extension, the life that you'll genuinely love waking up to every morning. Hey guys. My guest today is Mary Adkins. She's a former big law litigator turned novelist. Um, A story I'm sure will be interesting to a lot of you because I do hear from many a lawyer that writing is their one true love Um, (laughs) that is not being sufficiently exercised in the practice of law. Um, So Mary tells us about sort of how she very quickly... uh, accepted the fact that law was not aligned with her interests or her values for that matter. And the process that she went through to create some time and space to explore her writing, to give herself permission to leave the law, to go take this chance on a writing career. Um, And I think that a lot of what she talks about and went through will Um, resonate with a lot of you and hopefully sort of give some some hopeful ideas of how that process could look. Um, We also get into a bit of a conversation about the Enneagram at the end because we're both big fans. Um, So that was a lot of fun. And I am sure that you will enjoy the conversation. And for any of you who are out there who are sort of dreaming of, you know, following an interest into entrepreneurship, but are struggling with what exactly that idea could be and what the business model would look like and what the steps are to go from having that idea to actually launching it and then taking it full time. Uh, Not to mention how one goes about giving themselves permission (laughs) and all of the mindset issues that come up with that. Uh, That is exactly what I help people with in the Freedom Business Incubator. So um, if you're thinking about that, I'd love to chat. You can just sign up for a Catalyst call and we walk through where you are and where you'd like to go and see if it's a good fit Um, and usually, you know, get some good nuggets just out of that conversation. So link is in my in the notes. Um, But for now, let's hop into my conversation with Mary. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to be here chatting with you. Yeah, me too. So I'd like to sort of start with everyone by asking, what took you to law school in the first place? So I think I was always really interested. I I wanted to like make a difference in the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And I don't know why I'm laughing after I say that. But, uh, you know, I I had like... (laughs) I think we all know. It's just like... (laughs) We're also like, you know, high-minded as... Yes, yeah, like have dreams of being like this huge like world changer. And I'm, I grew up in, in the South, in, in um, Georgia and South Carolina, and my parents um, were ministers. And like, so I, I saw, like grew up watching my parents be in a, in a helping profession and like really like thinking of themselves in service to others. And so they, they really instilled that in me, but I... I was not drawn to that path at all. I was more like, I want to like make big structural change. (laughs) Like, like I get, like, I remember even when I was little, I could like see myself running for office or something, you know, like I had, I just, I don't know. I just had these like big dreams of making big change. And so law school sort of made sense, but I also, so I, like I said, I, I, I like, grew up in, in mainly in South Carolina and went to public school and, and I was a really strong student, um, uh, in, in public school, but I always like kind of wanted, I kind of wanted to get out. Like I wanted to get out of South Carolina. I, I wanted to like live in New York. I saw myself as living in New York. And when I 
when I got to college, I went to Duke, I felt really behind and I felt really insecure. Like my imposter syndrome really kicked in. And I, I feel like ever since then, ever since I was 18, I felt like I, I just had a really intense imposter syndrome and felt like I needed to prove myself. So, so I think law school made sense both because I was like, oh, I'm going to be a change maker and, and like make a difference in people's lives and represent, represent the underdog and represent people who are disadvantaged. But also I think it like, I don't know, I think more selfishly, it was this like legitimacy that I was seeking, you know, like stamp of approval yeah. and legitimacy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like I re- I remember telling a friend, my best friend, um he was like, "Why are you going to go to law school?" And I remember being like, "I need legitimacy." <laughs> like I want people to yeah. listen to me when I talk, you know, and it, I I had been always so insecure that 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 really drew me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's so uncommon, really. Some version of that. Yeah. Yeah, I would be, I, I, I agree. I, I can see, cause it, yeah. And then subsequently I, I worked with a lot of people applying to law school, um, like tutoring the LSAT when I, when I left law to be a writer, yeah. which I know we'll get to. Um, yeah. but like I, I re- saw, I, th- I feel like I saw a lot of that in people wanting to yeah. go to law school. So how did sort of law school and evolve into your legal career? What, what sort of practice did you get into? So when I was at law school, I, I actually loved it. I actually really loved law school. And I, I feel like a huge part of that is that I was lucky enough to go to a school that didn't have grades. So I went to Yale and it didn't have grades. And um, I think a lot more law schools don't have grades now, but at the time they're like, there weren't that many that didn't have grades. We, we basically, it was, it was pass fail and honors. Yeah. And, um, I didn't care about honors. Um, so basically pass fail. Just don't fail. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And like, you know, it's just like, we're Why doesn't everybody go to Yale Law School? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. On the street was that like, no one failed. So I, I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I can kind of coast by. Like I, yeah. so I do, I actually do think that really shaped um, my experience of law school. I think I would have been, if, if, if I had actual grades, I think I would have been really hard on myself and it would have been a really tough time. But um, I was not, I was not a great law student, but I did, that freedom did allow me to focus on the stuff I was really interested in. And I was really interested in clinic. So I joined the domestic violence clinic at Yale Mm -hmm. and I ended up being the student director of it. And so I was in it for like two and a half years. I joined it as soon as I could, which was after my first semester. And it was really my my focus. Like I just yeah. poured all of myself into the domestic violence clinic. And um, the, the in, in Connecticut, law students can represent, as long as they're supervised by mm-hmm. an attorney, um, they can actually represent clients in court. So I, I actually, I, I was like representing clients in court. And I... I'm really grateful for that experience because it showed me that I, I really actually didn't want to do it after law school. Like I, I, I had a really hard time, um, like drawing emotional boundaries between myself and my clients. Like I really took on, I really took everything on, like I took on their pain and their struggle and I, you know, gave them my cell phone numbers and I was like, yeah, driving them around town and like, I, I like not just to court, but to like appointments. So I, I don't like in retrospect, part of that was age, you know, I was young, I was yeah. in my twenties. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know good boundaries. Like, um, and I'm sure I could have outgrown that and been like trained, you know, by a good mentor to like learn how to navigate that in a healthier way for myself. But I also feel like it was a, it was a, you know, we don't change that much. And I think it was a taste of what it really would be like for me. Like it it would be an all consuming kind of thing if I had, if I had really stuck with that path. Yeah. And, um, I also think it exposed me to the limits of the law to change people's lives, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, which is something I definitely didn't see going in. I thought like, Oh, as a lawyer or, or like even just working with, with the law, I'll be able to make structural 
change and thus it will be dramatic change. And what I saw was like, no, <laughs> like I, I, people are, are really complex and um, the law is just like one aspect in their lives and it, it, there are limits to it and it can only do yeah. so much. And like, you can't save people, like even using the brunt tool of the law, you can't save people. And yeah. so I think that was important for me to discover too. Yeah. All of which is to say, I had always been interested, I had always been a creative writer and a creative person. And I I knew that I wanted writing, creative writing specifically, to be a huge part of my life. I, I always knew that. And what I learned, which I'm very grateful for by being a part of this clinic in law school, is that like it would not have afforded me. I, I did not have the emotional energy to do that kind of work and right. like write creatively on the side. And um and so I decided just the very last minute, like my last semester of law school, I decided not to do domestic violence law. And instead, um, I had a, you know, huge student loans from law school, like right. $150,000 of student loans. And I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, to court. I'm, I'm going to go into corporate litigation. I'm going to pay off my loans really fast and I'm going to write on the side. <laughs> That was my plan. Um, <laughs> How did that plan go? <laughs> not well. <laughs> so, uh, so I took a job at a big law firm and um, in litigation in, in New what York. city, New York, <clears throat> in New in New York. Yeah. I just was trying to like place how bad is this job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and I I accrued a bunch of debt the summer after. I'm like, I'm about to make a yeah. ton of. Um. And not in a way that was like frivolous. It was like stuff that I, that I needed, but it was like moving <laughs> and like getting an apartment in New York yeah. and furnishing it and like things that just, you know, like thousands of dollars accrue really quickly. And, um, and I didn't have a job. I mean, I was like studying for the bar exam and taking the bar. So it was just like no income for right for three months and accruing right, all of these expenses. Right. But I'm like, oh, but I'm going to have, I'm going to have this really high paying job starting in um, September. So I'll just put it all on credit cards. So I like put everything on credit cards, um, got to New York, moved into an apartment, um, lived, living alone, was so excited, had like a doorman, which felt super fancy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was super fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, furnished this new apartment and then, and like bought all new suits at Ann Taylor, you know, <laughs> as, one um, does. as one does, and then got to my job and it was pretty immediate for me, this looming feeling of dread, like, what have I done? What have yeah. I done? It was like, uh, I actually think it was like day two that, I just had this sense of being like in a life that wasn't mine. And that was the best way I could think of described to people. Yeah. I'm like, I know I'm fortunate. I know this is a massive amount of privilege. I have an incredibly well-paying job and um, I am in a very good position. And I got that. But I also, I was like, I just feel like I'm in a costume. Like I, whose life am I? I feel like I'm acting yeah. in a movie. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know whose life this is. This is not me. And of course, I didn't have any time to write. I mean, are you kidding me? It was like, I, know. <laughs> I was like, hmm, yeah, going to New York big law as a method of having time on the side to do writing. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was obviously completely delusional that I thought I would have that. I mean, I didn't even feel yeah. it. I didn't have time to do my job. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, right. It was the, right. It's that thing where it's like you, you know, working day and night because there's not enough time to get the stuff done that I'm being asked to do. And I don't even know how I'm going to do it. And I, I didn't have, I did not, I had not felt like that in law school. And I know law school does prepare some people for this feeling because um, they work really hard in law school. But again, I didn't have grades. So I just wasn't that great of a student. <laughs> so like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel overwhelmed in law school for the most part. Like I, I had felt a little overwhelmed studying for the bar, but like, you know, I managed to pull that off like many of us do. And, yeah. and I just, this was a new experience of, yeah. of like having all of this work and not knowing how to get it done in the day and also not caring about it at 
all, right? So like that. (laughs) Super identify (laughs) with that, yes. (laughs) Yes, like representing a bank against another bank. I'm like, I just cannot summon (laughs) the energy to care about this outcome. Um, But also, then there was also the fact that I felt like I, I almost right away, I remember having this moment where I was sitting in this partner's office and like watching watching this phone call play out with opposing counsel and realize like having this moment of realization that like oh my god like a bunch of this career is posturing right <laughs> it's posh- it, it's like pretending it's just right. pretending it's just posturing like poofing it's, out it's, your chest and it's just power plays yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and and like that was also the sinking moment of being like ew <laughs> like I <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like that is not and it's not interesting to me. I don't it gives leaves me an icky feeling. Like yeah. um it doesn't seem like a productive way to solve conflict and I, and I I remember getting really in my head about about litigation as being a completely inefficient and um, damaging and destructive way of, of resolving conflict. Like I remember talking to my mom on the phone, like quietly in my office, whispering with my door closed and being like, I am contributing to evil. I am, I am a player in the perpetuation of evil. And she was like, you need to calm down and go. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I mean, that's an extreme reaction, but I think a lot, a lot of those of us who get in and just feel like you just have that gut feeling that you're just like, I feel like I did not take some Kool-Aid that everybody else here did. Like, is it, mm-hmm. is no one else seeing this? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember sitting in this meeting and um, discussing a bank that we were representing and there was this like someone kind of jokingly said, um, like the bank we were representing was in a case against the uh, a bank in Ghana. And there was this, someone jokingly said like, oh, well, the, the thing is, if like we were to win this case, it would bankrupt Ghana. And everyone started laughing. And oh, I, it was like, I just remember sitting there and gross. being like, oh my yeah. God. And like, I don't, in retrospect, like these are not bad people. I don't think like they weren't laughing in that kind of evil joker way that was like, let's bankrupt God. Right, like no right. one, they were laughing. Cause like, they were like, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not right. going to happen. Like that's not going to happen, but there's still, it, it was still just like, yeah, just another moment of that felt sort of surreal and, um, and like, you know, like ethically uh, dubious to me. And also just like, not like, this is not where I want to be spending my life energy, like my one short life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But also I didn't have time to write, you know, and I did, I did, I had, I really struggled to have time to write and, and yeah. that I really felt the pain of that because I, I really do think I was like born to be a writer. Like I'm, I'm, that's who I am. I am a writer first and foremost. And it's what I, what I always, that was my passion. That's what I wanted to spend my time doing. And I just didn't have any time for it. Yeah. So how did you, you know, approach that like with your career moves? So really early on, like my, um, one of my first couple of weeks I at at my job, I called, I called everyone I knew. (laughs) I called, um, uh, parents, mentors, friends, uh, law professors, and said, like, I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake. And uh, mostly the advice was like, okay, you just started, like, you have to stick with it. Like you have to stick with it for a little bit. Um, but one, one of my law professors who was a mentor of mine in law school and who I like love so much to this day said, she go, she was like, Mary quit, just quit. She was like, you, she goes, you will land on your feet. I have complete confidence and it doesn't sound like you want to be there. So you should just walk away. And it was like, it was so, I was so grateful in that moment that yeah. I remember where I was sitting. <laughs> I was sitting outside the office, like by this fountain. And it was just, no one else had given me permission to just walk away. And yeah. she did. And she was someone I looked up to and someone who I saw as, as really successful and who knew me really well. Yeah. And I just, and she said, you will land on your feet. And I remember her saying like, I wouldn't say that to everyone. I'm not. So she was, she yeah. was trying to tell me like, she's not, not just like, 
you know, yeah. blowing it's steam on my butt. But, advice, but yeah. Yeah. But she was like, I, but yeah, I trust that you will land on your feet and I think you should quit. And, um, I didn't yet. I did. I didn't quit for another seven months because, yeah. um, you know, my, my dad, <laughs> my dad's advice was please have a job before you quit. Like he was like, I don't care. You know, you can be a barista at Starbucks. Yeah. Like I, I truly don't care what job it is, but have a job before you quit. And, um, and I, I gave him, I told him that I would, I was like, okay, I, I agree to that. I agree to that stipulation. I will have a job before I quit. And yeah. So it took, it took about seven months. I mean, I was actively looking for something else to do during that time. And I, I wasn't sure what I knew I wanted to be writing, but it was like, do I get a job writing? I didn't have any qualifications to get a job writing. Yeah. I, Were you like totally done with law? Was it, was there any part of you that was like maybe a different practice in a smaller place or were you just like, I'm out? i felt pretty done at least yeah. with litigation. I felt pretty done with litigation. And, yeah. um, and then I didn't really feel like I knew how to do any other kind of law. So it was like, I think yeah. that I, I feel pretty done with law. I did. There was one job I got kind of excited about, which was like overseeing the, um, the, uh, judicial process for sexual assaults on a college campus. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to be a lawyer to have that job. It was like policy coordinator or something I think yeah. was the title. And I got really excited about that. And I was like, I could do this. I think I'd be really good at this. And I interviewed for, I like got made it really far through that application process. And ultimately they were like, you're, you're overqualified. Like you don't need a law degree for this. And we don't think you'll stay, yeah. <laughs> which was, yeah. um, I remember being so disappointed because I was begging them and it was like, you know, the pay cut was like a 90% pay cut or something. And they're like, we, this just is, doesn't seem like a place you're going to stay. And I, yeah. I remember really trying to convince them that I could be happy there, but, um, you know, not yeah. them, not believing me. <laughs> um, and probably being right in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like ultimately, I mean, they were, they were like, this position is not what you want it to be. So, but I, but I yeah. had really put all my eggs in that basket for a while. So, because that was a very long drawn out um, hiring process. And I, like I said, I made it pretty far in it. So that, that was like a, um, for a few months. And then, um, and then I, I actually got to a point where I, I decided that I was actually going to start carving out time to write, even though I didn't have it. I was like, I'm yeah. going to, anyway, I'm going to take a writing class. And I'm going to show up for this writing class every Wednesday at seven o'clock downtown, um, come hell or high water. And, and I did. And like, I, I made a really good friend in that class. Who's a good friend of mine to this day and a fellow writer. And she joked, she's like, I remember you would walk in in your suit and your pearls. <laughs> and I'm like, I did not wear pearls. I never wore pearls. It was a vibe. It seemed like it was, yes, it was a vibe. It was a total vibe. And she's like, and you seemed, you would seem so stressed out. And she's like, you would seem so stressed out. And then by the end of class, you would look relaxed and then we would go get beers. And like, you would talk about how sad your life was. <laughs> like, oh, great. I'm glad you became my friend. I sound really fun. <laughs> um, and I would notice, like, I remember like one class because I would turn off my phone um, and I remember one class, like looking down and seeing all of these call missed calls from the partner I was working for. Cause like, you know, it really oh, wasn't okay yeah. to be off. It really wasn't okay to be off the grid, like really at any time, <laughs> like even at midnight, like it was expected, right, you, right. like you're available, but particularly at 7 PM, like you are, that, that is not a time when it's okay to be like, I'm just not answering my phone. Right. So, um, and being like kind of panicked and then being like, uh, oh, sorry, I was out of thing, you know, just being vague. Um, yeah. but I, I guess the point is I did start carving out time to write and I did start working on some pieces and taking some classes and like forming connections with, with creative people in New York and with like the community of writers in New York. And it made me really excited and it was so enriching and, um, to the point that I eventually thought, wow, I'm, I'm just going to leave and get any job. Like I, I don't need, I don't need a job that's prestigious. I don't need a job right. that's like a writing job. I just need a job that gives me time to write. And right. I'll be happy. It lets me do all yeah. the stuff that I'm squeezing in at the very yeah. margins. Yeah. 
Exactly. And so I, I had tutored the LSAT for a little bit before I went to law school. And so I, um, I thought, well, I could tutor LSAT again, but I, I never had enough clients on my own to like make it make, make ends meet. Yeah. But I found a job on Craigslist that was like, pays a hundred dollars an hour to LSAT looking for LSAT tutors pays a hundred dollars an hour. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if I got that, I could totally quit my job. Yeah. Um, and so I applied got hired by that company. Um, and pretty much the next week gave notice. It was like, as soon as I got hired by that company, um, which was like a, I'm still to that grateful to this day for that tutoring company because they changed my life. Um, they, I, I put in notice and, and that was was seven months after I had started. So I, I think it's so interesting because a, I hear like, even in a, like, big law New York job, you did find time to explore your interest, even if there was sort of a perceived cost to be paid for like not being available at seven. But I think it's a good lesson to be like, if you're really that miserable, you have to find that time and draw some lines and create that for yourself because you may never have really been like, oh, I am going all along. This is where like I need to be. Um, and the idea that like the giving yourself permission to do just anything that will pay the bills so that you can do the real thing, (laughs) I think is really hard, um, because there is so much kind of prestige built into this career path. Um, it sounds like you were just like, so totally done that that wasn't like an emotional emotionally difficult decision, but was there any part of you that felt like that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do, I, I, yes, what you said is true. I do feel like I was totally done and almost overwhelmingly it was relief. Um, the day, my last day, my parents happened to be in town visiting and we left, I left the law firm for the last time. And, um, I went to a karaoke bar with my parents and my dad and I sang Proud Mary while like <laughs> while having like gin and tonics. Because remember the first job is like left a good job in the city. Yeah, um, yeah. And he was, he like sang Ike and I sang Tina. It was like such a happy, it was such Aww. a happy day. I was so happy to leave. But I, but yeah, I mean, I think that's why it took me so long because, which is not that long, it was seven months. But like yeah. those so many, almost all of those months, I was like looking for a job that I could, that I could very confidently say to the people around me, see, like, this is just a, this is just a like lateral move. (laughs) This is just like a step in a slightly different direction, but you're, you're still impressed by me, right? Like it's still a good job and it's still um, like, it's not, it's not going back to literally what I was doing before I went to law school, which is what tutoring was. I mean, I, I I was going back to what I did without a law degree and without all that law debt. And um, I, so, so yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was like a humbling move and it was definitely a move that, that very well-meaning people who I admired, like, were like, this isn't a good idea. I mean, of like a, a colleague who had become a close friend asked me to coffee, like right before I put in notice, but I had told my friends I, at work, I was going to put in notice. He asked me to coffee and he's like, okay, everyone elected me the person to tell you that this is a terrible idea. Like this is an intervention. (laughs) You are making a mistake. And it was so, I I was so sweet. I mean, I I was like, it was so kind. Like he really was trying, he was looking out for me. Like in his mind, he was looking out for me. And I, to this day, like I find it very touching that he did that and that our, our, our other friends were also like, someone needs to stop Mary from making a mistake. But that's how they viewed it. And, and I see why, I mean, I see yeah. why it looked, it looked crazy, you know, it, yeah. it looked, it's also um, why you have to get around people other than just people who kind of see the world in that very traditional yeah. way. Yeah. Um, because that's a good point. You can, luckily it wasn't you, but you know, I think it's, it's easy to really start second guessing yourself when someone has an intervention to save you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's such a good point. I mean, I, I remember also in terms of 
conversations that were happening at this time, having a conversation with my best friend who, who was like all for me quitting and, and her, and, and she's saying, why can't you quit? And I said, well, um, this was before, obviously I decided to. And I said, well, I, I just, I can't, like, I would have to move because I, I couldn't afford this apartment. If I quit my job, there was no way I said, I would have to move. And she was like, Mary, people move. Like they do that. That's something people do. Yeah, right. <laughs> like right. You, you could move. And then, and until she said that, it was like, well, I guess, yeah, after she said that, it was like, oh, she's right. I could actually move. That's a thing people do. But until she yeah. said that, that that seems so insurmountable to yeah. move, you yeah. know, it's like, well, I would have to break a lease. And she was like, yep, yeah, people do that too. They break leases all the time. People break leases. Right. <laughs> like, right. You, like this, this cannot be the reason you don't do it because that is doable. And she's like, and I'll help you and it will work out. You will find a place to live. Yeah. And, um, so I think, yeah, that was another lesson. Like sometimes you just need someone to tell you like this thing that feels so scary is actually like a manageable thing that, that human beings do all the time. Yeah. I think people get really in their heads about it, like, especially with the financial side of it. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of just actually looking at the numbers and making a plan and then you're like oh this can be mm -hmm. done I just have mm -hmm. to sit down and and do it find the new apartment you know yeah make a plan you know it's um you know I think those sort of logistical things take on a larger than life you know yes. date sometimes when you're already in the midst of having to make like you know, it's a big decision. It's a big decision to walk away from a job like that and a whole career yeah. like that. Yeah. And also the, you know, I mean, it's ironic given that I was in litigation, but I was very confrontation averse. And so, you know, even just like having the hard conversation with my landlord, who I really liked, she was this woman I really liked. I'm like, I don't want to tell her I'm breaking my lease, but it was like, okay, but I can't make my, I can't make major life decisions around not wanting to have one conversation with a landlord, you know, right, <laughs> like, right. like, um, yeah, yeah. like not wanting to disappoint this woman who I've known for a couple months. So, yeah. um, and you know, so I did it and of course, and she was super understanding and, and, you know, and like we figured it out and, um, you know, as, as we knew she would, she found another tenant. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't the dramatic, scary thing right. that it was, that it had been in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it sort of go from there with, you know, doing the tutoring and spending time on your writing? Yeah. So I, um, I would tutor at night and I would write during the day and, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to write. I mean, I had a whole bunch of ideas, but I, I knew, I knew I wanted eventually to publish a book of some sort. I didn't know whether it would be nonfiction or fiction. Um, so I just kind of took classes in anything that interested me and, and spent time working during the day. So I was writing essays and submitting essays for publication. I got my first couple of essays published, which was, you know, exciting and affirmative and, yeah. um, and uh, started, I decided I was going to write a memoir about my, but like a funny memoir sort of, um, like, or a collection of funny essays around my, my like failed attempts to change the world as a kid and a young adult. Yeah. Um, and the title was all the homeless people can live in my room. <laughs> and, um, and I like put together a, put together a proposal for it. I learned how to do that. Learned how to, took a class on how to write a proposal, yeah. um, hired someone to edit the proposal, figured out how all of that worked and that I was supposed to submit it to literary agents. And I, I started submitting that to literary agents and, um, and I was getting no's from literary agents. And this was just over email, literally emailing them just a query letter with the manuscript. And, and one of them, this agent wrote back and he said, Oh, I could have sold the hell out of this in the nineties, but like, I can't now. So what else do you have? And, um, and I remember being so excited, like both disappointed and excited by this email. Cause it was like, he liked it. He just yeah. was like, I can't sell it, but I, I, what else do you have? Um, and I think I, I mean, I, I didn't have anything, but, but, but I remember at this point, I think I had heard the advice. If someone says, what else do you have? You never say no. Right, so right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to keep this conversation going. So I remember writing back and saying, 
well, what could you sell the hell out of now? <laughs> and, um, and he wrote back and he said, well, do you have a novel? Do you have a novel or like, do you have a novel idea? And the weird thing was I, I actually did. I had a novel idea that I had been toying with, but I, I didn't have the confidence to write fiction. I, I had taken one fiction class in college. It had been really hard. I had not done well in it. And like, it was a short story class and it was just, it was just a really negative experience that made me think I just don't have the chops. Like I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't a lit major an English major. I, I like took a Shakespeare class that made me feel dumb. Like I, I just, I remember like, I just didn't think I could write fiction, even though I had this novel idea, but here there was this man, this, this, you know, professional in the publishing industry saying, do you have a novel idea? And so I, I, you know, like, like I have up. an idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bucked up. I wrote a paragraph about my idea. I was like, this is my idea. What do you think? And he wrote back and he was like, that sounds fantastic. Write it and then send it to me. And that was it. Like wow. that was it. That email like launched my writing career <laughs> because yeah. I, and I didn't, I actually didn't realize this until years later, like that I had needed permission from someone to, to write fiction, but I did, I I needed permission and he gave me permission to write fiction. He didn't become my agent. Like, um, I mean, I, I wrote that novel. That's the novel that became my first novel. Um, I have a different literary agent. I I of course sent it to him. Um, but, but he didn't end up wanting to represent me. And that's, fine because I I'm still I'm so grateful that he told me to write it because that's why I wrote it yeah yeah it's interesting there's like a theme of permission (laughs) and Mm, I think it's so true because I think it comes I with so many people I work with it's like half the game is finding a way to give yourself permission to do something and it can often come accidentally from other people if you you know don't give it to yourself yeah, I like that a lot. And I, I mean, that's what I, you know, I'm skipping ahead here, but yeah. now I work with writers to finish their novels and memoirs and to pitch them. And, and I, I do feel like so much of my work is like giving permission slips like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> yep. like, they're like, can I do it this way? And I'm like, yes, should I do this? Yes. Should I keep going? Yes. Like yeah. just, you know, being like, a cheerleader and telling yeah. people to to experiment and to keep well, that's going. valuable because people sort of need that <laughs> yeah for sure especially yeah. around creativity for whatever reason I mean I think in totally with creativity we like imposter syndrome is so common yeah yeah um, so so you I mean it's interesting because I would say so many lawyers I talk to just want to be writers, right? That's kind of even why they went mm. to law school because they mm-hmm. loved writing and they, you know, I think a lot of people out there do dream of this, but um, so many people will say, oh, that's just not, that's a pipe dream. That's a pipe dream. <laughs> but yeah. I love your story, which is just like, I wanted to do it. And it sounds like you gave yourself quite the education about how to go about even logistically succeeding at it, not just the writing part of it. Yeah, I think, I mean, that has always been a strength as you, like, I know you and I are both Enneagram fans. (laughs) Like I, um, I've recently realized I'm a type three. I thought I was a type seven, but I'm not, I'm a type three. Um, and I, you are cool. (laughs) Um, and I will, seven and threes are like similar in a lot of ways, but I think, um, as, so, so the three is kind of, sometimes it's called the achiever. Sometimes it's called like the performer, but threes tend to be pretty good at like navigating the world because it's how we find our value from like affirmation from others, right, <laughs> which right. is not, you know, not ultimately uh, what you want to do. But like, I, I finding once I set my eyes on a goal like finding my way there um was something that I I found came pretty naturally because that because I I just would get obsessed with meeting the goal so it was like okay if I want to get published I need to learn how to do it and I need to follow those steps you know right right um 
so yeah, but being very focused on it. Yeah, exactly. Which is not to say it was it definitely wasn't easy. It took me a long no. time, but yeah. um, but like you know, I I did make it a priority to learn what the exact steps I needed to take were. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk more about the Enneagram, but let's let's finish sort of yeah. with um, <laughs> your whole sort of life trajectory. So you become like a published author, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. And how does that like evolve? Like you didn't just do one and done. No. Um, so I found my... So my liter- finding a literary agent turned out to be a lot like dating, um, which I did not anticipate, yeah. um, which was, uh, for me, a process of like sending, writing this novel, sending it out to that, that agent who told me to write it as well as others. Mm-hmm. And, um, got a lot of no's, got a lot of like, mm, I don't know, maybe if you change this thing or that thing. But one agent in particular was like, oh, I see a lot of potential in this, but it's not there yet. Like, do you want to hop on a call and talk about what you can change? And um, and we did. I had this like 45 minute conversation with this lovely woman. And she said, okay, here's what I think this book needs in order for it to sell. And so I reworked it and I sent it to her again. And she said, good work, but it's not there yet. And I reworked it and I sent it to her again. And this happened, um, three times. <laughs> it's like a parable yeah, um, yeah. with the same woman until Claire, who's my agent now, um, until I sent her a draft and it was like, you know, it was like a cinematic moment. Like I, I sent it to her. She said, okay, I'll read it. Happy to read it again. You know, like very generous. Yeah. And, um, I woke up the next morning to an email she had sent at 2 a.m. And she's like, Mary, you've done it. You've cracked it open. I love it. I cried. I couldn't put it down. I read it all night. Like one of those just like dream emails that I've been like, you know, like in my wildest dreams wanting to get for so long after all those no's. And, um, and this was not over the course of months, by the way, this was over the literally over the course of years. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I was like tutoring and, and reworking this same manuscript and like sending it off to this agent and other agents for years. And then I get that email from her and she's like, let's do this. And so, um, from there we worked on, she and I worked a little more on the manuscript together. Um, and then she, the, the way traditional publishing works is that the agent will submit the manuscript to publishers and, you know, if they, to, to editors at publishing houses. And, and mm-hmm. if an editor likes it, they'll make you an offer and then you get the book deal. So the, so that's what happened. Um, we, we got a book deal for my first manuscript for my first novel, which is called when you read this. And that came out in 2019, um, in er, the beginning of, tw- uh, sorry. Yeah, it's the beginning of 2019, um, and then uh, and then subsequently, I've, I, I have had two other novels come out with my same publisher, which is Harper Collins, and and working with my same editor at Harper Collins, um, and so those and those novels came out in 2020 and 2021. Um, I didn't. Sometimes people hear, you know, like I had three novels come out in three consecutive years and they think you write really fast, (laughs) but I, I, I actually do write pretty fast these days, but I, the third novel I did write in a year, but the first two, I mean, the first one I wrote over six or seven years and the second one I was writing over a couple of years. Like they, they just happened to come out in quick succession, but I didn't write them all that fast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, that all sounds like totally insurmountably difficult to me because <laughs> I am not a writer but <laughs> so I'm just like impressed at all <laughs> but so it's really you know looking back at that you know are there are there things you would have done differently or are you just like yeah that was that was my path um well it's it's kind of both because I it yeah. was my path and I I don't regret anything but I also feel like I hobbled together a lot of how to do this just based on trial and error (laughs) and also like, yeah, seeing what wasn't working and like being in writing classes that were not helpful. And so since then, so since my novels have come out, I also am now an entrepreneur. So, (laughs) and I've listened to your 
your episode on the accidental entrepreneur and definitely feel like I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely never set out to like be a business owner, but now I am. Yep. <laughs> um, because I, I wanted to teach people what I figured out. Like I, I wanted to create a writing program that taught all the stuff that I had to figure out on my own. So I, I was kind of naively thought, I'll just like start this program without thinking of it as a business that I was starting. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it was. Like I started a business, which I now know because I run the business, but like I didn't. <laughs> I, Someone told me you have a business and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's kind of like, what happened I, with this podcast. I was just like, do to do I'm just doing a podcast. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like it's my new career. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is, oh, this is a yeah. career. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt. I thought, yeah. oh, I'm just starting like a writing class. I was like, I'm just starting an online writing class. Yeah. And then people yeah. started taking it and then it ballooned and then it became like a full year long program. And then it was like, oh, I have these like clients and um, yeah. I need to create it like a, a sustainable business model. Like I should actually try. I mean, it was, it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize I should actually like have a spreadsheet with my business finances in it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that it should, like I yeah. should even have yeah. an Excel document yeah. <laughs> tracking anything. It, like took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, so I guess, yeah. So my aunt, like, I don't, I don't have any regrets about what I learned because um, it's been really, really valuable to have learned that. But I do, I do now like run a whole business sharing that with others because it saves them time. Yeah. Is yeah. The idea. I mean, I think that's so valuable. I think there's so many opportunities like that out there that I feel like, you know, the coaching industry has sort of like taken off or whatever, but you know what? It cuts your timeline in, you know, yeah, if not half, like even more so than that in a lot of ways. And I think yes. particularly for lawyers where it's very, there's a high level of discomfort with being unclear about what your, what the next step is. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I find with my people. It's just like, if you can create sort of a coherent, these are, you know, it's always a little bit messier to get into, I'm sure, writing or any kind of entrepreneurship than, than we would ever like. But if there can be some context and sort of roadmap to follow, I think it's, it's really valuable for people. Yeah, it's, you're right. Especially lawyers. I find the same thing. Yeah. I feel like with lawyers, they're like, like a lot of my, so if I'm kind of telling people the steps to write their book and like, you know, a lot of people I'm like, I give them steps one and two and they're like, cool, I can go work on steps one and two. And a lawyer's like, okay. And then what's step three? And then what's step four? Okay. And then what am I going to do? Like they want to know, they right, want to know right. what steps the whole map. Is. And then I know yes. exactly where I'm going from minute one. And that's how I know I won't mess it up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. totally. And I relate to that. I do really, I, I do relate to that too. I do, although, and this sort of brings me back to the anagram, which we wanted to chat about, is because I suspect there are quite a lot of ones in the anagram among lawyers. Um, mm. And the ones really are like sort of the perfectionists. And I think it's very hard for people with that mindset to not have a very clear order of how to do things the right way. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah I wonder yeah. if there are a lot of lawyers who are ones. I mean, yeah, that would make sense. I would think I would think there would be ones, also threes. Yeah. Um ones, threes, and sixes are the are what like I oh, think of as being because sixes are the like issue spotters of the Enneagram. Yes. <laughs> the issue yeah, they're like, the oh, is there a problem? I'm gonna spot that before anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, so good. I, I actually created that. an online quiz that I've just updated to apply more to entrepreneurship, but it's sort of like what's your escape type and it's it's sort of informed by enneagram types. Um oh, and cool. I do see a lot of the sort of issue spotter type um profile in in lawyers. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. But I'm a seven, and I'm always intrigued by how any of us ended up in the law in the first place. Right? It's like we're the we're the adventurers. The we have FOMO. We like want to explore, and yeah. So it's sort of not necessary. I always like when you were saying how you felt like this. I am like 
putting on a show being in this firm. That's kind of how I felt that I was just like, this is, I don't, this is not how I function. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I need way more freedom. I, all these rules are killing me. And I didn't even think of myself as being like a rebel, but it, it's interesting. And what I like about the Enneagram is that it kind of helps you see yourself in a different perspective and inform kind of how you function in a way that you can help, that you can leverage. Yes, me too. I love that about it. And it's one reason I thought I was a seven for a while. It's like what you're describing, like feeling yeah. trapped in law and then feeling like being willing to leave it, like just like kind of walk away is like a very seven thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not really a three thing. Like I, I really thought like, there's no way it can be a three because I think a three would have stayed because of status. Yeah. But I mean, this is one thing I, I love so much about the Enneagram is that it's not that simple. Like it's about, it's not about like actions you take, but about the motivation behind the action. So right. like, so yeah, I didn't care about status, but um, like in the sense that I, I didn't care about um, uh, status at a law firm. Like I didn't right. care about status as a lawyer, but I absolutely cared about like how people saw me more generally in the world and what kind of career I wanted to have and what that yeah. would look like long, long term, you know? Yeah. So. And you have that kind of internal achiever drive applied to whatever it is you ch you know choose to apply it to. Yeah, it was it was definitely this kind of unrelenting drive to be successful that just was just I was pivoting like it, I was like I'll just put this in another sphere, but it wasn't like I didn't care what people thought of me. I very much cared what people thought of me. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's sort of like there's also the healthy versions of things and the more stressed mm -hmm. versions of things. And I, I see how I was like more stressed. Like when I was at a firm, I was the one taking vacation all the time because I was just like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like let me escape this. And I was always trying to avoid mm. the discomfort of it. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm like a grade A avoider of discomfort. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a learning lesson for me once I got to working at the law school for so many years, and I still wasn't happy. I was like, Oh, man, I don't think I can run away from this anymore. I think I have to stop and like, deeply look at myself. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was was the answer for like, a more fulfilling path. But it was Mm. I had it was not my natural inclination for a while yeah like your natural inclination was to take a vacation was to take another vacation yeah yeah it's, the problem is here let me go somewhere else <laughs> right that's yeah. really interesting but I love the Enneagram and I use it a lot in my coaching because I think it helps also see people have these sort of limiting thoughts in, in different ways and when you sort of realize oh that's just sort of that's an interesting way of looking at it and you realize it's not the truth or the only way of functioning. I think it yeah. can open up a lot of, um, a lot of doors just to sort of understand that some of the things that are holding you back are not universal and there's some freedom in that somehow. Yeah, me too. It, it really is. It, it's my husband is an eight and we, and he, he, he once he read the description of an eight, he was like, Oh my gosh, I feel so exposed and seen. And yeah. like, this is me. This is me. Yeah. This is exactly me. Like he, he's not into personality tests. I am, but like, yeah, he's into this one because it was, it, it nailed him so accurately. And oh, yeah. so yeah. we, when we, when we like have not even, it's not even conflict, honestly, it's like even just any kind of conversation now, it will often come up. Like, he'll be like, oh, well, I'm, I may be seeing it this way because I'm an eight, you know? Yeah. And, and it, I just think that's an illustration of what you're saying that yeah. like you, it, it gives him, and, and I relate to this to me too, like this kind of way of checking your own perspective to be like, oh, but, but like not everyone sees it this way. I now realize. And um, it's yeah. like such a nice, and I don't it's know. sort of an exercise in self-awareness. And I think that is key for sort of figuring out what you want to do or even just how you want to do whatever it is that you're doing. Um, yeah. 
do you find that there that are there sort of like I saying what I think lawyers are are there sort of classic enneagrams for writers so I mean I would say no, four I mean but yeah you would think I mean think. I definitely work yeah. with some fours but then like there are some sevens some eights um uh like I'm just trying to think of my most common numbers um yeah I would say probably three four seven eight I have a lot of yeah um yeah. but like one thing I love hearing that you do Enneagram in your coaching because I I also incorporate it so we'll talk about like you know, I'll ask people to figure out their Enneagram number if they haven't yet. And then yeah. we'll just talk about how to make certain writing goals based on that. So like the different mm. types of writing goals and how, you know, you can, you can tailor your writing process and your writing schedule to the kind of, to your personality type so yeah, that it's just yeah. not as miserable. You're not like trying to shove a square peg in a round hole because like you hate rules or like you love rules, you know? Right, <laughs> um, right. And I so think that's, that's so fun. different for lawyers, right? Because we came up in this world where we were all trained to be like exactly the same and function exactly the same. Yeah, that was the way to function. And so this idea that like, oh, we all function differently, and that's just normal and human, although obvious when you say it like that, yeah, is sort of like sort of empowering when you realize it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of revolutionary. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it is and, and empowering and. Um, you know, and it's funny too, cause I will, I'll definitely like work with some lawyers and I, I feel like lawyers are always, which makes sense to me because, you know, being one, right. being a former one myself, like they're always like so able to do the work. Right. <laughs> like they're right. not, they're not the people who are like, this is too much work. They're like, this is easy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, just in terms of workload, you know, cause they're like, they're just used to like, to sitting for hours and hours and reading or writing or just the slog of it is nothing yeah. new. The slog of it is nothing new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question whether that's how you want to go through life, but yes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, that's what I mean. So then I feel like when they're doing creative work, it, it's so refreshing. I mean, yeah. that's, I, I've always found it that way. Like I, you know, I found it I, I, I find the writing process for the most part quite joyful and like I don't I just feel lucky when I get to do it. And mm. I think it's, um, you know, I think part of that is cause I just love doing it. And then part of it is also that I've, I've done work that I don't feel that way about. And I know what that feels like. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so I have that comparison and it makes me grateful um, when I get to like do, sit down and do something I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real gift to know that, you know, you love what you do. It sounds so simple, but um, finding that thing that you enjoy that's sort of right in your zone of genius and leaning yeah. into it um, is, it's, it's a gift. And I just wish that more people would, would give it to themselves. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I love that. Um, Mary, so before we leave, let us know where we can find you. So you can go to my website, which is maryadkinswriter.com and my Adkins with a D like dog, not like the diet, um, <laughs> um, which people may not remember. That was like a 90s. Oh, thing, I remember. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. The ad, it's still around because people are always asking like, what else? You know, yeah I feel like my dad people. is like intermittently always on it for some reason <laughs> still yes he's it. like six four and skinny so we're not sure why he's doing that. No, no reason for it. <laughs> um so yeah my site is maryadkinswriter.com or on instagram I'm just um adkins mary is my username and yeah that's it all right well thank you so much for taking the time being on this was so fun and I know it's really going to speak to a lot of people because I um yeah the uh aspiring writers among miserable lawyers is like a pretty high percentage yeah <laughs> yeah been there this was so fun chatting yeah. thanks Megan thank you.